Salutations traveller and a very warm welcome to the Dunkern podcast. My name is Colin Hazard and I am privileged and humbled to be the Dunkern Arts Centre's new writer-in-residence. I'm primarily a poet and a number of you lovely listeners may have seen or heard me reading my work on a stage somewhere in Belfast or further afield over the past few years. You may even have seen me online earlier this year on the first episode of the Dunkern's Virtual Cabaret or more recently as part of their Take Two event. But if you haven't heard of me or my work, then hopefully this podcast will give you an insight not just into me but more generally into the day-to-day life of a local writer and also into life behind the scenes as the Dunkern's writer-in-residence. At the moment, I can't tell you too much about what that's like, as all I've done so far is have my photograph taken and record the first episode of this podcast that is currently happening in your ears. However, I could tell you about my past few months stuck in lockdown, but that would involve a discussion about house painting and repainting, and about how I spent around two months breaking my back and legs, doing a patio extension, because the man that was meant to do it didn't show up. Anyway, I digress. Back to the podcast. I mainly wanted to use this podcast as an opportunity to chat with writers and artists that I admire and to explore their creative process. I've always been interested in how and why people create and I think it is an extremely pertinent subject with everything that we've been experiencing this year to find out how artists, just like arts organisations, have been adjusting and adapting to the circumstances while still trying to remain productive. The first guest I'll be talking with is my poetry friend Abby Oliveira. Abby is a Derry-based poet, not to mention a theatre maker, performer, spoken word artist and lyricist. I've known Abby for many years and in the chat we discuss places that we've performed, her recent projects, how she's coping with being a new mother, as well as how both of us got started on the local poetry scene. The only issue with speaking to a writer that I know well is that sometimes we mention topics that both of us know about, but which may not be clear to the casual listener. So just to clarify some of the things that we talked about, we mentioned Bookfinders Cafe, where I first saw Abby perform. That was a cafe on University Road in Belfast, and in the late 2000s it was the main poetry night in the city. It was owned by the wonderful Mary Denver, who I will always be indebted to for the support that she showed me in those early years. And the nights themselves were hosted by the funny, talented, eccentric and well-dressed poet Brian Bailey, who sadly passed away in 2016 and is dearly missed. But for anyone who attended Bookfinders, they were completely magical nights filled with ideas and laughter and possibility and lots and lots of wine. From my teenage nephew, I understand that young folks today have an expression, if you know, you know. So I let that phrase sum up the Bookfinders years. Another thing that Abby and I discussed was poetry slams. If you're unfamiliar with that term, slams are a poetry reading competition. They are usually three rounds of three minutes in a knockout format and points are awarded by the judges for the content of the poem, the performance of the poem and occasionally the audience reaction. Many arts festivals include poetry slams as part of their festival programme and I've been very fortunate over the years to win a number of slam competitions as has Abby particularly for Abby, the Slam at Lingo Fest, which we discuss. And Lingo Fest was a massive poetry and spoken word festival that ran in Dublin for a number of years before ending in 2017. It was actually co-founded by the poet Stephen James Smith, who you may also have seen reading at events around the Dunkern or as part of the virtual cabaret. But I know that winning that Lingo Fest Slam was a huge accolade for Abby. And then more recently, she's been having success with her music group Seven Daughters and their album The Seventh Daughter. 
The album was an RTE2 album of the week and tracks from it have been played on BBC Radio amongst many other stations. But I think that's quite enough of me talking about what we talked about and instead I'll actually let you hear us talking. I'll be back again after the interview to share a poem and to say my goodbyes. But for now, without further ado, I'll hand over to me and Abby who met virtually via the magic of the internet. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Dunkern podcast and welcome in particular to my first guest, the writer, performer, theatre maker, spoken word artist, workshop facilitator and general all-round legend that is Abby Oliveira. Abby, hello and welcome. Hi, how are you doing Colin? I'm good, how are you? I'm great, yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being my first guinea pig on this new project that I'm undertaking. Now we, we obviously know each other for many years now and we've gigged together and, and performed on the, on, this, on the poetry word circuit right across this island. But for folks tuning yeah. in who maybe don't know you or don't know your work, can you give us a brief kind of summary of your career and achievements to date? Yeah, um, well, my name is Abby Oliveira and I, I suppose I would be better known for being a performance poet. I've been doing that since 2006, but um, I work in and theatre as well. Um, I'm a theatre maker, I'm also an arts facilitator, and uh, so that's what I've been doing really since 2006. You know, my, my work in life is is varied, so it's it's all in the, in the arenas of writing and performance in some way, but yeah, better, better, best known for being a performance poet and a theatre maker. Yeah, and I know certainly when I first encountered you and your work it was it was very much in the spoken word scene but I'll, i want to come on to that eventually but um to start with let's go right back to the start and could you tell me what first inspired you to get involved in writing what made you put pen to paper in the first place yeah well i have always done that ever since i was a kid i've always written in fact i used to i was just i was just talking to a friend last night about how when i was about 12 or 13 years old I wrote an entire novel. I had an entire novel, and really, it was a rip-off of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. <laughs> and I used to write chapter by. I was so excited to write back then. You know, I'd be in school just dreaming about getting back to write more to my novel. You know, and then I would, I would sit my sister down and read her chapter by chapter. She was a great captive audience. So really, I suppose way back then, it was, it was writers like Stephen King that I really loved so I just used to sit and try and emulate him really I can't remember really uh, really before that I mean I, I have been writing since primary school I have always loved writing stories and poems mm. I think I got into poetry when I was a little kid from one time we had to write a I remember we had to write a poem about the harbour and Montrose where I'm from you know and really, it was my mum wrote my poem for me, you know, and I passed it off as my own. <laughs> <laughs> and and I got first prize for this poem, you know. It's like it's such a dirty secret that I've carried this, my whole life. This whole career has been a sham. <laughs> <laughs> no, a whole sham. Really, it's my mum writing all my poems. <laughs> but so my, I just remember way back then that my mum had written this particular poem. And I, I just remember thinking it was so brilliant. And that's really when I started uh, trying to write my own poems, you know, because I wanted to write something as good as what my mum had written. Mm -hmm. So that's where it all started. Okay, well, that's quite nice to try and better, better <laughs> your mum's work. But then for you, you mentioned about writing a, writing a novel when you were 13. That That's not something a normal 13-year-old, I, I think, would do. No, 
No, indeed. That was um, really at that time in my life. We had not long moved to the north of Ireland from Scotland, you know. And mm. so really instead of being out in the streets and running around wild when I didn't really know anybody, that's what I was doing a lot of sitting in my room writing, you know. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of us kind of start is in isolation. Yeah, but, you know, it was it was to think of how enjoyable writing was back then. There was no stress involved. There was no pressure for it to be good. And just, you know, just sitting daydreaming about your story all day long. Even in school, I was so distracted. And, you know, I would love to be able to capture that again as a, as a writer. I think, obviously, as you grow up and there's more pressure and, you, you know, obviously you... Your skills, are, as your skills grow, you put more pressure on yourself. And sometimes, sometimes writing, as you know, Colin, can be very, very unpleasant. <laughs> you know, you can you can sort of lose that connection with just the joy of writing. But yeah, definitely back then, it was just such a joy to write. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because now that I think about it, when I'm writing something now, I the back of my mind, maybe even the front of my mind, I'm thinking about the end goal, about then performing it on stage or trying to get it published. We should go back to those early days when we were teenagers or whatever, trying writing, but just writing for the sake of writing. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Sure. Because I went through a real a, a stage for a while where I was only writing because I had deadlines, which, you know, works great for me. I do mm. tend to work really well under pressure, but it really did... Um, it really did mean there was a disconnect in my life between just writing for the pleasure or just having having an idea that really sets you on fire and not necessarily one that's going to go down well with an audience or a reader, but you just you want to write it because this idea has set you on fire. I would definitely agree with that. And then so we came so to come from those those early days and putting pen to paper and writing a novel at thirteen, fast forward now, so to give some context, so I moved to Belfast in autumn I think it was 2005 and I, I was writing poems but I was still very much in the mindset that, that poetry was something like in the classical tradition I was I mean I the only poets I really knew were John Donne and Robert Frost and John Keats and very kind of old-fashioned poets if you want to put it in those terms and it wasn't until 2008 I think it was it was early 2008 that I went to a poetry night in Bookfinders Cafe and mm -hmm. on, on stage that night was a group called the Poetry Chicks. Ah uh, yeah <laughs> And, and that, remember them yeah and they blew my mind and that was that was you and correct me if I'm wrong it was Pamela Brown yep and Jenny Doherty as well Jenny Doherty yeah, yeah. And that, that night that I saw you it was just yourself and Pamela but that really just expanded my mind and what poetry what I thought it was it was always going to be on a page and it was for in books and magazines and all kind of very serious and all that and then to see you perform it and to use the language and the voice and the body and all of that it just I was like blown away and, and that that was for me the start of my writing career and that's what I took inspiration from but what like what are your memories of that time? Uh, yeah um well I mean prior to that I mean I'd always sort of written poetry and really we got involved I got involved in the Poetry Chicks project because I was helping out and a festival in Derry in which Pamela was facilitating some poetry um, writing workshops. And she, uh, when she met myself and Jenny through that, it was really her idea to have this, this performance poetry trip called The Poetry Chicks. So up until that point, I didn't know much performance poetry either. Mm. You know, 
I learned a lot once I started doing the poetry checks in terms of the po um, the performance poetry scene. So, I mean, my memories of that time was also of being totally just so excited by poetry, hearing it brought to life. And at that time, you know, I was I was watching poets and listening to poets like Jessica Kerr Moore, and there was um, a duet called Yellow Rage at that time. They really lit a fire under me because it was the first time I heard them, it was the first time I had heard such unapologetic rage in poetry, but also the communicating of issues that were taking place in the world. And, and I just thought it was such an amazing way to communicate because you would get people like, well, like even myself and a lot of people who were listening to the performance poets and taking on board um, these issues in a way that they might necessarily be able to do if they were listening or or reading academic work, for example. Does that make mm. sense? Sure, yeah. Yeah. So I just remember at that time being constantly mind-blown. And then um, there was a troupe of poets from Manchester who came over to do a gig in Derry. And that was um, Jerry Potter, who at the time was doing his alter ego, Chloe Poems, um, and John G. Hall, Rosie Lugosi, Jackie Hagen, Connor A. And that was just it for me. That really blew my mind and put me on a, on a whole other path poetically because then I saw that, you know, you could, you could have really good poetry and really good performance. And when they came together, they really did something strong and special. And plus as well, you know, Again, learning about about the issues that they were talking about. For instance, John G. Hall, you know, he's a, a socialist. And so that, that informs a lot of his work. And I learned so much, you know, so, so much about what was going on in the world. And it inspired me to go and just learn, learn, learn. And then that found its way into my poetry at that time. So, yeah, did I actually answer your question there or did it just sort of go off in a wee oh, tangent? I think, I think you did in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I mean, it was it was the likes of yourselves, the poetry checks. There's other people like Seamus Fox, who you know, uh, Brian yeah. Bailey, Claire McWilliams, some some really fantastic yeah. um, writers and performers around well, Belfast at that time. I know you were coming down from Derry, but just in, in the island in general and that. That for me was say was the start of my journey and to, and to listen to guys like yourselves and Seamus Fox and to learn about your influences at that time as well. And then that was also around the, the advent of kind of social media when YouTube was coming in and there was more awareness, I guess, of of spoken words. Yeah, because at that time, I remember we, we myself and Pamela and Jenny came to Belfast to do a slam that Brian Bailey was running. And it was the one minute poetry slam. You had mm -hmm. one minute for your poem and that was it. Um and so that was my first introduction to taking part in slams, you know. Now, slam, slams are a thing that I don't do very often. Very rarely I would take part in a slam. Um, but I love the electricity of the slam environment, you know. Mm -hmm. I do. I love the electricity. And I love how it's, it's um, opened up the poetry world to a much more wider audience. It's interesting you mentioned, mentioned slams because I know, like, in, in 2010, you and I both represented Ulster at the All-Ireland Slam final that was in Dublin that year. Okay, yeah. And I mean, that's gone back a while now and I've, I've only vague memories of it. I know, isn't it crazy? You know, I think, oh yeah, what, what, what did we really call in? Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Thank Mickey, you for I, the reminder. I think did you come did you come second or third that year? Uh yeah, maybe. I can't remember. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm pretty sure you made it through to the final. Less said about what I did, the better, but we'll move on from that. But because um, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about slams, because as far as I know, the last slam that you won was twenty sixteen in Lingo. Yeah. Lingo Fest. Now, is there is there a reason that you don't do slams anymore? Well, do you know, it's just I never actually particularly enjoyed doing slams, right? It mm. was just something that I felt that I should do. And also because I kind of liked the electricity in the room, I, you know, I would occasionally do them. So um, in terms of like the, the lingo slam, the, well, uh, you know, I, I saw that, you know, we could do some poems on stage with Saul Williams. So I was like, right, no chance that I am passing up this chance. I'm doing this slam. So I don't have, you know, it's not like, I don't have any particular big problems with slams at all. You know, I enjoy them, but for me, I don't enjoy doing them. And that's really it. You know, I mean, there are some people out there who could give you a whole, who could talk for hours about slam the problems with slam and the benefits of slam and but you know i just i personally just don't like that that anxiety it was just the anxiety and maybe it was where i was at at the time as well you know maybe if i was going to do a slam now this year i mightn't feel the way that i did in the past but maybe it was me and where i was at in my own mind that i just could not take that the anxiety and the nerves and the it is, and I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean with that anxiety and the nerves, and as well as that, it's the, it's the preparation time where you spend the time rehearsing the poem, you know, learning the poem, and then to get yeah. on the stage. And it's great, and the buzz when you win a slam. Yeah. And when you don't win, or you like, I've been in situations where I've been on stage in a slam and forgotten the words, and it's a very lonely stage when that happens. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I, I don't know if that's ever happened to me, but in a slam, it's definitely happened to me just on stage doing poetry. But yeah, that is a lonely stage, and especially when you're in a slam situation and oh, the nerves are so up to high dough anyway. And then as well as that, for me, a change for me meant in a kind of a mental capacity because one in one year, and I, I can't remember when it was, but I think it must have been maybe around 2015, and I was actually invited to be a judge at the Belfast Book Festival Slam. And I mean, it, it was a big night. It was in the queue, but the Crescent, there was a big audience, lots of poets signed up. But for me, I, kn I, knew, I knew so many of the poets that were on stage that night, and I know the, how hard they work on their, on their craft and on their poems. And for me to sit there and judge them. Yeah, I find that tough too, being a judge. I really did find it tough. Yeah. And, and I don't think we should be competing against each other. We're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to express ourselves creatively and to present our work and to present our ideas and then to get on stage. And for, for someone like me or whoever else was the judge to say, no, you're no good or you're better than that person. It's it just seemed really awful position. It's to be difficult. In. It, it's really difficult. But that's the thing. I, what I'm always trying to impress on people and particularly people who are starting out is that Slam is so, um, what's the word, subjective. It's subjective, yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. such a subjective thing, dependent on the audience that's in the room and the judges on the panel. And people have to remember that, that really, you know, it's not always the best poem that wins a slam, you know. Oh, I definitely agree with that. 
I mentioned there the Lingo Fest, and for, for people who don't know, that was a massive poetry and spoken word uh, festival that was in Dublin every year. And for you and for you to go and win that that slam and get to support Saul Williams too, that must have been like a, a dream come true. Oh, that that was mind blowing for me. You know, Saul Williams is one of my one of my poetic heroes. You know, so that was mind blowing. But that was mind blowing for every everybody who was at that gig that night. Was it the Button Factory? It was in. Forgive me if I got that wrong. But the place was packed, and he was just standing doing his poems. He was just reading his poems. You know, he didn't have a beat or anything like that. There was nothing like that. But people were so buzzed. Like, we were buzzing for weeks afterwards. It really felt like just generally the standard of event in this country had gone bum, 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 bum. You know, it was so inspiring. It inspired everybody, I think, to up their game. I can imagine. Just that that passion, that going back to that energy I'm talking about, like on, on for Saul Williams on stage to see the great man who's toured the world and performed so many great poems and just phenomenal but for me I can hear making a tenuous link now I can definitely hear Saul Williams influence on the Seven Daughters album that you've been involved with oh yeah tell us about that collaboration how that came about well that was um that came about because well really it was (laughs) it was serendipitous because I was really going through a phase where I I was just about done with doing spoken word. You know, I was really losing losing interest, losing heart, and and you know, just sort of in one of those those between places. And I had to go back to the drawing board and think to myself, okay, Abby, what was it that really, really that really lit a fire under you when you started this? And what was it you really wanted to do? And I remember that one of my great ambitions had been to work with musicians because I love it when when poetry and music really gel well and the power of it. So Aaron, in the midst of all this, Aaron Fornoff, I'd, I'd been doing some experimenting with beats and this and certain bits of music, you know, just on a backing track. Just and in the midst own. of all this, just on my own, yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. And in the midst of all this, Erin Fornoff came up to me one one night after a gig, and she says, "Abby, you need a band." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be cool, you know." Erin, she's like, "No, seriously, Abby, I'm giving you I'm giving you um, a certain amount of time. I'm giving you six months, and you've got to sort a band out for yourself, right?" So so we worked it out that this was the following February, you know. Mm. So I really felt that pressure of Erin giving me the six months, you know. And uh, so you've got, a de- you've got a deadline now. You said you need deadline, so this is perfect. I had a deadline, right? Um, and then whether it was just making that mental blueprint and putting it out there or whatever it was, but then Connor O'Connor got in touch with me. He's an electronic composer and a musician, and he had worked previously, done an album or a couple of albums with Carl Parkinson, the Dublin poet. Mm. Those albums that they had done, the work sort of focused on life in Ireland from the point of view of of being a young man and he wanted to do something with a woman so he had approached me with this idea and then he just started to send me music pieces of music that he'd been working on and I just started writing to them and we realized that you know we gelled really well I really liked the the music that he was making and and that's really how that started you know uh so the whole in terms of coming up for, you know, we had a concept at the beginning where, you know, he would sort of, he would, he wanted it to be sort of Irish life from the point of view 
of a woman. And I was concerned that, you know, that I would feel this pressure to have to write about issues. You know, if there were, if it didn't feel that that was sort of naturally what was l lending itself to the music, that I would somehow have to find a way to write about all these issues, you know. Mm. But then I decided not to give myself that pressure. And I just, I just decided to listen and listen and listen over and over to the music. And then I learned that if you listen to a particular piece of music for long enough and deeply enough, it starts to sort of reveal a story to you. And that's really the way that I worked, you know. Mm -hmm. I started, I really, I was hearing just maybe a line at a time or getting an image or, but that came from listening to to the piece of music until I was almost sick of it, you know? Okay, that, that's that's interesting in terms of kind of writing words to music. What is your creative process like away from that, just if you're working on a poem or a spoken word piece? Is it similar? Does it start with music in the background or do you need silence or how, like, where, where does Abby write? Uh, yeah, it depends. It really does depend. Um, so usually for me, it would start with, obviously, just keeping a notebook is so important because... I jot down everything in the notebook that, that just stands out to me from every day. So it might be a news story, it might be an image, or it might be a photograph or, you know, anything like that. And I, I jot it all down in my books. And then some some of that stuff come, turns into poems or into pieces of writing and some stuff doesn't. But you tend to have, you tend to have a feeling when something is going to, to, to come to fruition. And you know it's hard to it's hard to put into words what that feeling is. I suppose it's an energy within you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, do you ever get an idea and then it comes with a certain energy attached to it, and it sort of pushes the the process through the, into a finished piece of work. I, I probably would be quite similar in that I write a lot of things down in notebooks or even just on my phone, just as reminders. And then if there's something that I really believe in, that's the one that I would go with. Yeah, because there is an energy behind it. There's a, there's something within you that pushes, pushing you towards that particular piece, that particular snippet, and then that energy carries you through the process. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, um, you know, obviously when I'm writing to um, a piece of music, you know, really when, and in particular with the Seven Daughters thing, my voice and my words are as much of an instrument as the instruments. So the placing of the words and everything is very specific, you know. So, for example, when, when myself and Connor and Klaus were working on the Seven Daughters album, myself and Connor had a few issues with just getting the syncing right, you know, just trying to, because I was in Derry recording my lyrics and he was down in Dublin putting the stuff together. Mm. And we had some syncing issues. And there was me trying to explain to Connor that it was very important to me that the words come in precisely where I wrote them to come in because my voice and the words act as a further instrument within that composition. Mm -hmm. So then you can't you you have to you have to listen to the piece of music over and over and over when you're working like that. You know, that did, that did really you feel, sorry, did you did you feel then confined in that sense but by the music that you had maybe say a three and a half or four minute song? It had to be on the beat and had to be within the certain parameters of that. Mm, well, I suppose I suppose you are a bit confined, but it's not in a bad way. What it 
not for me anyway. What it really pushed me to do was was edit, you know, if you and really look at where I could say if I could say something in five words that I was using twenty five words to say. Mm-hmm. You know, it really it really makes you look at that kind of stuff much closer. That's that, and that's one of the techniques of poetry anyway to try and condense it down into the you know the, the key message and and, yeah. and and of course then to use the best words possible. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, you know, I, there's I I struggle with that sometimes as a writer, definitely. You know, and especially stuff that I wrote years ago. Nowadays, I'm looking at it, going, "Oh no, why? Why did you let me put that out there? Why? Why have I written fifty words there? I could have used five. Yeah, well, I'm delighted you said that. I thought it was just me that goes through that. <laughs> I think it's all of us, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Well, you must have done something right because I mean, the Seven Daughters album has been so well received. Uh, as, an, as a BBC and RTE and yeah, I'm I'm a bit mind blown actually because you know the, these lyrics and everything were written last year a long time ago you know and I'm I suppose I'm so used to I I, I collaborate a lot you know be it in music or poetry or theatre or you know I do a lot of collaborating with people and a lot of the times things don't come to come to anything really outside of outside of the the project that you're doing it doesn't mm. doesn't gain any traction you know so i suppose i've gotten used to a way of working of just of just doing things for the sheer pleasure of them and for the enjoyment and because i like the idea so i wasn't necessarily expecting all this interest that the seven daughters album has gotten so it's been it's been really great it's been so such a lovely surprise and especially given the time that we're in you know that we have needed a lift during COVID, you know, so it's been a great lift. And suddenly I'm going, oh, okay, all right. Okay, I better get prepared to, well, and in a way I'm lucky that we can't really perform at the minute because obviously, you know, having a baby and things, if they wanted us to do gigs for seven daughters right now, I don't think I'd be able to, you know. Yeah, it would have to be like a morning gig or something maybe between fees. Well, yeah, <laughs> or maybe, you know, a nursing mammy gig. <laughs> I mean, trying to do my lines with my baby feeding, you know. Yeah, well, that's. It. I was actually going to come on to that. So, I mean, you've obviously had a very busy year in more ways than one. Um, so, how? I mean, how has, has has motherhood affected your? Not affected, but maybe that's the wrong kind of word to put on it. But how has it brought new challenges? I guess in terms of being able to write and create and have that, that time to do that. Oh, well. You know, it's been a great learning curve and it continues to be a learning curve because he's only five months old now, you know. So technically speaking, I shouldn't be doing anything but being on maternity and, you know. Mm. But I've found myself taking on a few projects. So, for instance, I took on a project with um, Chandrika, Niran and Moen for the Poetry Ireland pamphlet trumpet pamphlet and it was just to write a 500 word essay ironically on sort of how the writer part of you and the mother part of you and then covid all kind of sat together you know 500 words you know it's not much Mm. and that took so long so you know you're learning that everything just has to slow way way down you know because i can't get in the i can't get into the mindset of thinking that he is getting in the way of my work because it's my work getting in the way of him now, you know? Sure. So he has to come first. Um, and as I say, he's only five months and we've been in a very particular kind of a situation where, you know, nobody's working as much as they would have been and there's not so many 
um, events and facilitation work about because of COVID. So, you know, that's kind of allowed us to spend a lot of time with our son. And it's working out okay at the minute, but when things all start to get back to to, to normal, I, I you know, I don't know, that'll be another learning curve. We'll just have to get used to um how how you be how you be a mother and a performer and a you know, because I remember once I was talking to my mommy and she says to me, Oh, you'll not be able to do all the concerts and all that you do once the baby comes along, you know, just a completely different way of thinking of. And I was like, well, this is my livelihood. Of course, I'm not going to stop doing those things. <laughs> but um, it's definitely going to be challenging. So, but I, I'm not worried about it. I'll, I'll, we'll figure out a way. Just I have to, as, as I concluded in my essay for Chandrika, um, they will just have to, like siblings, they'll have to find a way to get on. And that's just it. <laughs> Well, that's it. You know, the artists this year, I think, and arts organisations as well, have been so adaptable to the conditions and to, to, to bring in the technology and to try and do things. And, and I think, see, we're doing this for the Dunkern, but the Dunkern really have been at the forefront of, of using that technology to, yeah. to, to, to put on gigs and workshops as well. It's been, it's been really brilliant to see. And then sticking with the Dunkern, I know you recorded some poems for them recently for the, the Take Two. What can we expect then from Abby Oliveira's set at Take Two? Well, you can expect a, 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 about three new poems that I wrote during lockdown for one thing or another. There's a poem called Deep Rest, which I actually had originally written for um, a, a tinderbox when they were doing the solo solo art project, which they, they started that at the beginning of lockdown. So I wrote that. I have a poem. There's a poem as well called Blue is the Hour, which I had written recently for a collaboration with the Mac. Uh, namely with photographer Carrie Davenport and um, composer Garth McConaughey and videographer Conan McIver. So, um, but, you know, obviously I, I'm only doing the poetry, but if you want to see the whole shebang with the music and everything, it's easy to find online. It's called Blue is the Hour. Um, yeah, so a good few new pieces. So, and then a couple of, a couple of golden oldies. Always have to throw a, throw a few oldies in there. Keep the fans happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, fun. let's hope. I must say that was it was a difficult. It was a the most difficult. It was the first time I've ever performed poems since I became a mum. You see, and so I had severe case of baby brain, and that is the first time that has ever happened to me. You know, would have had to stop and go back several times over. So I was so happy that my audience were cameras and lights and, and, you know, the camera guys and things like that. And I was not in front of a live audience. Uh, every cloud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and it, I mean, we're coming towards the end of, of kind of this chat now, but there's so much more that we could have covered. Like I haven't even mentioned you touring Australia or going to Singapore or all kind of your theatre work that you've, you've kind of hinted at as well. That's all right. People could go on the website and read about that stuff. Well, now seems the perfect opportunity to give out the website address. Oh, it's it's www.abbyolivera.com. Excellent. So what, I mean, I know it's it's kind of an open question and no one's really sure, but what does 2021 have in store then? <laughs> what indeed does 2021 have in store? I mean, I know ideally what I would like for it to have in store, but sure, who knows what the world will decide. Um, so um, I suppose at the moment, I've, I've just recently been found out that I've been awarded a SIAP this year. 
to complete my first full-length poetry collection. I know, eventually, you know, I got there in the end, like, I'll get there in the end. So I'm going to be doing that for the first first part of 2021. I'm going to be finishing writing the poems. I also had um, the writer, Belfast writer Paul McVeigh. Um, he he was um, he's editing a collection called the Thirty Two, so it's a a series of thirty two um, memoirs. So I had a memoir published in that. That's going to be published in I think April of twenty twenty one. So that's 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 about as far as I've planned for twenty twenty one at the minute. You know, that seems that seems busy enough. Yeah, that's that's definitely going to be busy enough for me. I think. Yeah, when you're fighting against that baby brain too, you know it's. Uh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keeping my child alive, fed, <laughs> warm. <laughs> well, that's 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 been brilliant, Abby. Thank you again for for being a part of this chat. Ah, not a problem. Thanks a lot. I've really enjoyed having this chat. Actually, it's the most relaxed chat I've had over Zoom. For me, it, I mean, I just wanted to kind of get to know you a bit better and to kind of promote your work to a wider audience and then to also for me personally to know about kind of your creative process because I'm, I'm always intrigued by people's how people create their their art particularly obviously their poems this was kind of our background um, so that's been really interesting for me and inspiring to, to hear your journey and to hear that it's continuing on into even bigger and better things hopefully yeah thanks Colin. so find the links on our social media for Abby's websites and find out about her work and thank you for listening Thank you. So there you have it. That was the inspiring and creative and original Dairy Girl, Abby Oliveira. One of the other things we failed to mention was how, for many years, Abby was the organiser and host of a poetry and music open mic night in Sandino's in Derry called the Monday Night Cure. The reason I mention that now is that the poem I'm about to read has a link to that event. So Abby also said that she has recently received Arts Council funding to start writing her first poetry book. Well, I am slightly ahead on that front as my debut poetry book is coming out next year through Dara Press, who are a publisher based in Connemara. And what I would like to do is share one of the poems from that collection. But where the idea for the poem came from was that the last time I read at the Monday Night Cure in Derry was about four or five years ago and I'd driven up late on the Monday afternoon, had my dinner in Derry, gone to the event, done the bit on stage and then after the event I started my journey back to Belfast which must have been around midnight or maybe even later. And if you know that road you'll know that you have to pass through the town of Dungiven. Now many years ago I used to frequent Dungiven to visit a lady friend but I haven't been up that way in a long time and on the drive back from the Monday Night Cure I had the inspiration to write this poem which is called The Only Woman from Dungiven. For some the world gets larger, for others smaller. On the last Monday in November at an hour when all sensible white collar workers are asleep my world is the dairy to Belfast Road a road not travelled since the days when I'd returned from new places with a souvenir magnet and canisters of camera roll film. As the world chokes in the closeness of Dungiven, photographs are developing on the windshield. Passing the Ballyquin Road, I slow the car, thinking of the only woman from Dungiven that I'd brewed tea for. A wee dram of milk, no sugar, served with breakfast. 
The souvenirs then were kisses. In the last one, her lips were coated in a potion that allowed her to shrink me into her palm, inhale, then blow me back down this road. And the wind tonight on the Glenshean Pass carries her perfume. But with only headlights and a copper moon, I can't tell if it's the world ahead that's getting smaller or the world behind. There you have it, a poem, a chat and hopefully some interesting ideas for you to mull over. Don't forget that part three of the Duncairns Take Two, which features Abby Oliveira and was broadcast last Saturday night on the 7th of November, is now available to watch back any day or time on the Duncairns social media channels. Now though, I must go and write poems or write wrongs. Either way, it'll be heroic. Thank you for listening and I hope you can join me next time on the Duncairn Podcast when I'll be talking to one of Belfast's finest singer-songwriters. Peace, love and light. Toodaloo.